Yeah, God really wants to speak this morning. He's always speaking. He speaks to us personally, but he speaks through his word when we read his word and through the messages that come through here on a Sunday. So I'm just going to bring a conclusion uh, to colliding worlds and moving into Shout Sunday. So uh, here we go. So have you ever had a collision in the natural? Okay, where we've had, we've hit something and it's impacted us. Well, Bruce did as a um, young man, um, under the influence, unfortunately, of alcohol, he hit another car and then he hit a bridge. Can you imagine who came off worse? Bruce. And he ended up in hospital with what they suspected was a ruptured spleen. But you know, that was the turning point where he came to what was his life about and what was he going to make of his life, and he turned it fully to Jesus. Um, I had a collision. Well, I've probably had a few, but I've had a collision <laughs> when I was 12, and I biked or rode into a parked car. Anybody else ever done that? Do you know there's some others in our family that have done that? Maybe my head was in the clouds, wasn't watching where I was going, and I collided with a parked car and fell on to the hard surface of the road. A stranger picked me up, um, somebody I didn't know, and I couldn't even tell them my name. I had, um, what was it called? Um, concussion. And so it took a little while. My sisters thought it was hilarious because they were asking me all sorts of things, and I was coming up with really funny um, answers. Sometimes we are colliding with very unforgiving surfaces. You know, there are surfaces that don't give way when we fall subject to them. And we probably all collided at some time. In fact, those hard services, they punish us. And last week, Pastor Sam talked about broken hearts and shattered hearts, sometimes because of hard situations, sometimes because of hard-hearted responses, sometimes because of vulnerability. But the good news is that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us so that we can see hearts healed in the name of Jesus. And so sometimes we've come off second best. But likewise, and I want to bring this today, we're colliding with spiritual forces. They're not in the least forgiving. They're not kind, but they're deceitful and destructive in intent. Now, we might dispute that and go, well, Helen, that sounds a wee bit out, out there. We don't need to look far in the world to see what the enemy is doing. All the hatred, the destruction, the violence, the abuse, that is not motivated by the Spirit of God. And we are colliding with spiritual forces in the world that we live in. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be sober. Come on, be self-controlled. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for unsuspecting people, people who don't give um, credence that he is about. We don't need to be paranoid. We're above and not beneath. But we need to be aware, otherwise he can creep up on carelessness, on bad habits, and he can take advantage in the name of, um, because of a, his heart's intent. However, the good news of the gospel is that God came to rescue us, to heal the brokenhearted, 
to deliver and set us free from any captivity. And we can fully rely on the truth of the statements that Jesus made. In fact, Paul, he attests to this. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a faithful saying. Come on, we're talking about truth. This is truth, and it's worthy of all acceptance. We need to take it in, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He said, I was hard. I was a hard-hearted person. I had anger. I had malice, and I persecuted Christians. I killed Christians at my own hand. But he said, if I could be saved, if the mercy of God could be towards me, it can be towards anybody. He was proof that lives could change. And so the message today is colliding worlds. And we're going to talk about colliding of truth or lies. So we're going to look at the truth and we're going to look at the lies of the enemy. We are colliding daily with spiritual forces, lying spirits, seductive spirits, that seek to corrupt minds and hearts. And the first one, I'm going to narrow it all down. We're going to talk about colliding with an important subject, commitment. And we live in a commitment-shy generation. People want to keep their options open. People will want to wait and see and see if it suits me. You know, I want to have an alternative to making a commitment. And commitment shy might play out in all aspects of our life. But it might even enter into our journey of faith. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't shy away from commitment? He didn't shy away from coming to save you and I so we could live above spiritual forces and we could live light and free. He committed himself. But often people are saying, well, I'll feel it, then I'll commit. But no, we commit to what God has said, the truth, and the feelings will come in second. There was a scribe, and he came up to Jesus, and he wasn't coming because he wanted to know anything. He was coming because he was judgmental, and he wanted to find a loophole. And he just asked Jesus, well, what's the most important commandment? He probably thought, well, what's the least I can get away with and then do what I like in the meantime? And Jesus said, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and sometimes some say with all your strength. There's commitment right there. Come on, life flows out of the heart. And Jesus knew if there was a commitment from the heart, the rest would flow automatically. And sometimes we try and do things out of law, we try and measure up. But when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all our mind and all our strength and all our soul, everything else will come into alignment. But we see the enemy seeks to dissuade people from committing their all. Don't get too carried away. No, you probably don't need to adhere to that law or that regulation or that commandment. You could probably give that away and still get on with your Christian life. But that is the lying spirit of the enemy trying to take away from you the joy of the Lord and your full inheritance in him. How does the enemy do this? Sometimes forcibly smash. We smash into him through events, through hurts, through disappointments. But more often he comes subtly with a suggestion 
with a cleverly composed lie. So we will back off from our all. We'll commit some of ourselves, but not all. And we need to look at that, and we're going to look at a story you're all familiar with in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 8. And this is called The Fall. And I just renamed it The Big Cover-Up. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And we're going to talk about lack today. And from that moment on, Adam and Eve knew something was missing from their lives. But they had yielded to the lie of the enemy. They had listened to his suggestion. And here's the first lie. Did God really say... And what the enemy was doing was casting a shadow over God's integrity. I think he's really trying to hold something back from you. You're much more enlightened than that. You know that this won't hurt you. You know that you can partake of this. And he appealed to their flesh. He appealed and suggested, maybe you'll be better off making your own decisions. Where are we at? Are we committed to God leading us? Or are we making amends and thinking, well, I'll just reserve that right to make my own decisions? Here's the next lie. This won't hurt you. In fact, this will probably help you. Appealing to the carnal nature of man. And we all have within us a love hunger. And if you want to know more about that, go to Encounter Course. Because often we're responding out of that great need within our heart. But it appealed to them. It says, you will be wise. Oh, you'll be superior. You know, you've got a right to know everything, and God's got no right to hold back anything. You will be equal with God. You'll just be like him. And so that was the lie of the enemy that they took on board. How much is that like the selfish nature we have? I want to get where I'm going quick, and I want to get what I want, when I want it. God, this appeals, this shortcut appeals. I want to be wise, and I want to be great like you. The next lie is, you won't die, it won't hurt you. Genesis 3 verse 3. But the word of God, the truth, had said, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. They ignored God's command, they partook of the bitten fruit, and an internal dying began. Not just a physical dying that life would come to an end, but an inner dying 
emotionally, mentally, and spiritually being cut off from the living God. So we're talking today about bomb, colliding worlds, truth and lies. There are lying spirits out there to trip me up, to trip you up. And we need to be on our game and be aware of where he is trying to pull the wool over our eyes, where he is trying to deceive us so that we will move back from our commitment that we made to fully love God. Satan is the father of lies. And Jesus said this to the um, Pharisees who were always trying to deviate from the word of God. And he just said in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Do we recognize when the enemy is seeking to lie, to steal, to kill, and destroy our commitment? John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Come on, we need to wake up. We need to be discerning, not alarmed, but aware to the lies and the subtlety of the enemy's suggestion. That lie that he told them, it's like, this will help you. Yeah, eat the fruit of, it won't hurt you. Come on, this will be an easy fix and look at all the attributes of taking hold of this apple. Do you know the enemy is handing people alternatives? Philosophies, theories, doubt, unbelief, substances, drugs which alter people's minds, alcohol, compromise. It won't hurt you. But the devil is a liar from the beginning of time, and he's wanting to hook you in. You know, the enemy wants to take control of you. And how he does it, he wants to offer people things, get you out of control, and then take control over you. We see a world where addictions is rife, where habits that are destructive are taking hold of people, and they cannot seem to break free from it apart from the power of Jesus Christ. Acts 10.38 said how Jesus, anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the enemy. Come on, they were in need because they were oppressed by the enemy. There was something that needed to be broken. And maybe you're here today and truth is going to rise in your heart and say, yes, I need to make a fresh commitment. I need to dedicate my all once again to God. So be aware, Satan wants to get you out of control so he can take control of your life. Whatever you obey, the Bible says, becomes your master in Romans 6, 16. Be careful what you commit to. Let's commit ourselves to Christ where there's life and peace, where there's healing and there's release, and how Jesus can set us free from any demonic stronghold. We are in a spiritual battle. We are in a battle of truth or lies, and we've got to decide what are we going to commit ourselves to. The truth of God is a portrayal of his goodness. I love that. You know, God's laws delight us. And here in Psalm 19, it's a picture of God's goodness. 
So if the enemy's lying to you and saying, God wants to restrict you, God's a killjoy, God wants to shut you down, that's a lie. God just wants to enhance us. And the Bible says his commandments are exceedingly broad. Psalm 19, verse 7 to 9. I hope you can identify with this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, power to change us. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. We want to be joyful. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord, which is to abstain from evil and honor Jesus, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I've found in my life, my answers to my need are in the word of God. The truth of Jesus settles, soothes, heals, mends, empowers, encourages, strengthens, and enables me to be who God has called me to be. But we've got to choose. Adam and Eve in a beautiful orchard. Where's God placed you? He's placed you in a place where you can prosper. And there was only one thing that they weren't allowed to touch, but it was the one thing that they touched because the enemy appealed to their senses. And I just want to liken it to this. Have you ever taken a small child to a most amazing playground? You know, everything there. Just picture a playground with everything there to delight a child's heart and to keep them busy. But all they see is the open gate. Have you ever minded kids that are runners? And they're always running to the open gate. They miss all the fun things here because their eye is on the gate and they just want to run and get out of the gate. And I think that's what we're like when we're non-committed. I'll give myself there, but my eye's on the gate. You know, what responsibility do I really have to turn up for or, you know, uh, or keep my word? You know, and I think God ordained that, and I just thought you could call the gate free will. God didn't say, I'm going to lock you in, you have to. He gave us the choice. And we can either live in the bounty of what he's established, or we can head for the gate, but we're outside God's grace. Outside God's grace, we can be brittle, we can be hard, and we can fracture really, really easy. Come on, God can keep you busy within the garden of his love. So truth, dignity was stolen from Adam and Eve through the lie of the enemy. Genesis 3 verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They, were real, uh, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Fig leaves as a covering, <laughs> that's hard to imagine. But the lack became evident. And they tried to make amends to cover up the lack they felt within their heart. You know, they wanted to put out there that they were all right. And a perception can be with us if we cover our vulnerability. Perhaps the sense of lack we feel will be dealt with, but nothing could be further from the truth. The good news is that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cover us again with the blood of Jesus. 
David knew this. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. David had gone out that gate. He knew what it was to be vulnerable. He knew what it was for his energy to be drained. He knew what it was to be distant from God. And that was his greatest fear. But he praised God that his sin was covered. What are you looking to cover yourself with? Jesus is our cover. Whatever we're going through, whatever we feel bad about, Jesus is our cover. And we just need to confess our sins and he will cover us. And here's some old sayings. And I realize I'm getting older because sometimes I say sayings that young people don't understand anymore. Honesty is the best policy. Cheats never prosper. And we live in a world where cheating has become the norm. And disillusionment and mistrust happens on many levels. Politicians lie. Students cheat. No, not everybody. People cheat relationally. Unfaithful in word and in deed. Trust is broken and society becomes commitment poor. Jesus is fully committed. He's never going to walk on, out on us. He's never going to break trust. But we've got to take ownership of where we have missed the mark. We saw that Adam, when he was confronted, blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the, the snake. In fact, Adam probably blamed God because he said, it's the woman that you gave me. We won't read that for the sake of time. It's in Genesis 3, verse 11 to 13. But without ownership or acknowledgement, we live under the pressure of sin and shame. Come on, shame is a cover-up. But God wants to release us from shame. Shame is a fabricated image. Something we make up a story to cover the lack that we feel inside. The fear of being rejected or the fear of being isolated or the fear of not fitting in. Maybe I'll just present to others what I think will be acceptable to them. Then they won't know what's really underneath. And, and they will like me because they cannot see it. But if they knew, they may not like me. Shakespeare says, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Let's pray that it's not our practice to cover up and to lie. You know, even half-truths, oh, it's just a white lie. Come on, stretching the truth is telling a lie. Exaggerating is telling a lie. And if people practice it, it becomes, fact and fantasy becomes so close together that the, gut, the gap of discernment closes. And just through my observation, when we feel displaced like Adam and Eve, we can fall into two categories maybe, and there's probably more fear, can't cope, or fantasy, I'll make up something to sound good. You know, God wants to convict us. Conviction's God's welcome, Matt. Come home. Come back. Come back to giving your all. And he points out things, but often people say, I want to kill conviction. I want to squash it. You know, darkness has always persecuted the light. But God said, this is my welcome mat. So you can commit again to where you were with me. And I know of a, a girl who had a testimony. She had given herself as a practice to lying. Don't know why. But she just made up stories. And she got convicted. But then she committed herself to every time she told a porky or a lie, she would go back to that person and she'd say, sorry, what I said was not strictly true. 
Do you know, if you commit yourself to a practice like that, the humiliation of having to do that would soon stop you practicing being deceitful. And God wants to pull the cover off deceit and says, I've got this. I can handle this. I just want your whole heart for you to love me with all your heart. You don't need to cover up any longer. The collision between truth and lies. Choose honesty over dishonesty. Cheating causes self-respect to die. If you're cheating, inside you're dying because you know you're living with a fraud. You know you're living with a phony, that you're not measuring up, but you're pretending you're measuring up. Cheating causes disconnect on many levels. The person who cheats loses touch with himself because more false faces are put on to hide from exposure. But the fear of being found out continues to grow. And that's where people move into paranoia. Choose truth, choose life. The good news is, is we can discover the overlooked or missing threads and ask God to unite our hearts. That's a scripture. Teach us your ways, O Lord. Unite my heart. We're talking about unified. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's the best place. That's the best garden that I can live in, where I can feel free. I can feel the accounts of my wrongdoing is taken care of. And I'm justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth. Come on, truth. Choose truth. And the truth shall make you free. John 8, 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you don't have to make a cover for yourself. You don't have to um, hide. Jesus makes you free. The Son makes you free. You shall be free indeed. There's only one death-defying antidote, God's truth to set us free. I had a lot more to say, but we'll wind it up. To commit means you've got to let go control. And so many people want to say, I want the last say. I want to control what happens in my world. I don't want to submit. But in submission and in surrender to God, when we lose our life, we find our life. Are you commitment shy? This is the only commitment Jesus puts on us. And if we flow out of this, life will flow well. Micah 6 verse 8 he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly. Come on, it's heart. Love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We're living in a world where it talks about in Luke that men's heart will fail them from fear. We live in a world of high anxiety because of the expectations of things crumbling around us. There's unrest in homes and in society. There's more heart attacks because people's hearts are literally failing. Loneliness. And I'm just going to finish with these definitions. Commitment promotes belonging. You're important. You matter. Control, control, induces panic. Ooh, something's gone out of my, um, my range or what I can handle and I'm going to panic. It's not quite how I've seen it. Commitment involves investment. Control invokes self-preservation. 
How can I look after myself instead of giving? Commitment frees and others from fear. If we're controlling, it'll bind up other people. People don't want to be a satellite in our orbit. And we need to learn how to commit for the cause. Commit for the greater purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus is totally committed to us. How about we commit to get into the room at Shout? Significant things happen in an environment of faith where we're giving it our all. All we need to say is, I'm not going to reserve it for myself. I'm going to give my all. What can God do and shout through revelation, through praise, through worship, through significant miracles, through direction, release, as we invest through the commitment of our heart that we belong, that we're here together.